My guest this week is a legend in my eyes and someone I consider a good friend, Simon Church. I have no idea why it's taken me so long to get him on the podcast. He's someone who's had a transformative impact and influence on my thinking, but also on so many recruitment business leaders that he's worked with. And he's helped shape business strategies and business development strategies, which actually deliver sustainable growth. Uh, Simon is going to share what the most successful recruitment business leaders seem to do better than the rest, and also what is too often missing from BD strategies. Everyone should have a bit of Simon Church in their life. Enjoy. Hey, a very, very, very warm welcome to the uh, Tyrion podcast, Mr. Simon Church. Simon, good to see you. This is well overdue, this. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of things. Um, but listen, if there is anybody listening that doesn't know you, um, on your LinkedIn, you say 25 years in industry, 23 years in recruitment, lots of stories, plenty of experiences, and always looking to learn. So what are you, Simon Church? That is my question for you. Well, that's a really good question. What am I? And, and you know, I'm actually not good at talking about myself. I don't like doing it, as to start off with, but I will spend a couple of minutes um, at the beginning just telling you a bit about me because it sort of helps you to understand, you know, what, why I think the way I think about things. Um, I was brought up in Africa. My mother was a uh, retired, just very quickly retired uh, at 21, ballet dancer with the Festival Ballet. My father was a peanut farmer in northern Nigeria. So I was brought up in the bush. Um, I lived through the Biafra War and all the turmoil uh, that was created by Biafra being separated or trying to be separated from Nigeria. And uh, therefore, I was educated both in Nigeria and the UK, fitting between you know the two countries. Consequently, and probably because it wasn't really bright enough or considered appropriate for it, I didn't go to university. I went straight to work and I found myself living and working in the Middle East uh, very young um, when I was 20. I lived across North Africa and Middle East for quite a few years. During that short period, <clears throat> up until I was 22, I had malaria three times, hepatitis, gangster fever, jaundice, all sorts of other local illnesses. So. <clears throat> having been uh, thrown away overseas uh, because I had to, because of the situation, it may be quite independent. I, I, I set up my own businesses quite young, and that's why I sort of think the way I think. So it gives you a little bit of background, really, to my background. Um, so in, in the UK, uh, when I settled in the UK, I ended up in a technology company, which really shaped the rest of my life. And that technology company was a company called Case Communications. Brilliant business, very young, incredibly energetic. And our technology built the first mobile network. So the Vodafone Raycall network, the Mercury network was all sort of, our kit was all over that. We invented the first error, error checking modem, encryption modems, all that sort of stuff. It was really, really exciting. Um, we left that business at around about 13, started a cable TV company. Were you, is, were, you, were, you, were you straight into sales? Or always sales. Always sales. Yeah, my profile school by the way was don't this let this person uh, into an environment where he has to work with people <laughs> I love you. I love you. I'm completely wrong anyway yeah you might you might differ you might agree to differ anyway so uh where was i so uh, basically we I, I i met a couple of people um in a pub and uh, because of my background in technology particularly networking uh, one of the guys that recently had an accident in canada the broken leg and he'd experienced a 
a small TV by the side of his bed, um, which is much better than having a broadcast TV in a hospital ward. So we researched the technology, bought the technology, the rights to it in the UK, and we're the first company to put personalised TVs into hospitals. Um, we mm-hmm. raised three million pounds. I was only 30, 31. Uh, it was a hell of a lot of money. My interest rates were 15%. So no idea what I was doing. Honestly, absolutely no idea. Just full of the joys of being young and trying to do something different. Um, and then we started a separate business called Charter TV, which basically was the first company, more or less. I think there were others trying at the same time to put broadcasting systems in railway stations and leisure centers where you could actually see what was going on the timetable, but you had some av- advertising uh, split in between. Now, the connection with recruitment is that during that time with Charter TV, we had about 50 commission-only salespeople, which we, we grew from nothing. So my first experience, really, of, of moving away from enterprise sales, where at Case, they would send us away for four weeks every year on residential courses on enterprise sales. So it gave me a really good background. Then I'm now working in a business that has commission-only salespeople, quite different. You know, it's door knocking, it's closing people down on the spot, it's getting your order form out, it's just close, close, close all the time. And of course, a lot of collateral damage came with that as well. Very difficult, very different sort of environment to, to manage. Um, so one of the first um, things I did when we came out of that business was to go into another technology company, which we listed on the stock exchange. And we had to build a sales force for the listing package of around about 100, about 80, 100 salespeople, um, desk-based, uh, in three months. So... We are recruited uh, 80 salespeople at about 2030. Well, not me, but me and the rest of the team, because I was a sales director on the board there. Um, the, the, the support team that went with that as well, about 20 or 30 people. And in the course of all that hiring, I completely messed it up. You know, basically, we engaged hundreds of recruitment companies. We had invoices coming out of our ears. Um, we had absolutely no control over the process. We had some people operating at 10% fees, permanent fees. Some people coming in and charging us 30, 40% for jobs that were the equivalent now of, of, of a tele salesperson you know, in, in, in today's language. And so basically, I would get hit with invoices at the end of every month. It was totally unexpected. And that really did wobble the business. So I had the experience really from a hiring perspective. And, um, and then that's in the year 2000, so 25 years in, I got kidnapped and taken across into recruitment uh, by a company based in London and use all my experience in the telecoms and networking uh, industry to help them with that and, and divergence away from just telecoms and networking into public sector. Okay. And I, was, I was running, basically, the job was to run the UK operation uh, for, for the company. It had had a share price shock in the year 2000, like many other people. It was a fully listed company, and the share price shock took the share price down to 10% of what it was originally. So it was quite a job. It was a, a real, real focused job. The focus on that was was growth. No, the focus on that was uh, try not to be too dependent on telecoms and networking because telecoms took a smash yeah. in 2000. Everything to do with communications took a smash. Um, and uh, just hold the tiller, get the tiller, get the, the boat sailing in the right direction and uh, and, uh, and make sure we, we diversified. So there's no public sector sales there at all the time and I knew the public sector inside out because of my experience with the NHS and other sectors. So... We did. We started that off, and it actually grew up uh, very, very, very quick and very successfully. Um, that was my first introduction to the dark side of recruitment. Um, 
And then, you know, it's a long, long story, quite a few years going uh, into large companies. Uh, uh, one of the businesses that we're in was around 230 million turnover. And we, I was a sales director for that. And we acquired a, a business that was 90 million and we rolled that in. So we're getting, you know, to 400 and 400 million, 450 million. So that's my experience really working in a big corporate. Frankly, not really my cup of tea. I like the pitching. Why? Why? Yeah, I like the uh, why. It's too yeah. much time spent inside. Okay, yeah. inside the business, yeah. people's uh, uh, quite often important issues, but politics, people jostling for positions, too much wasted time. And, and frankly, that's why I enjoy working with smaller companies. You know, there's far too much to get on with. Uh, you can keep the focus uh, on on the ball all the time. Um, it's really important to do that and not get distracted by things that are uh, 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 manipulated uh, by other people inside the organisation. I don't really like working for big companies at all. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so then um, we started the Rethink Group. The Rethink Group started actually without me there, and I joined nine months later, uh, put a lot of funds into it. We took that onto the A market uh, not very long after, sort of three years later. It was about 55 million at the time and grew very fast from zero. And um, then from there, I, I left and became a consultant in 2000, so 2010. 2010, um, I uh, set up my stall to take all this experience from outside the industry and inside the industry to small companies. And I've been doing it ever since. I've, I've been coaching. Um, I looked at my um, invoice records, 79 different companies I've been in to, to help and advise and coach and I've enjoyed Honestly, probably every single one of them. How many of those? How many of those were recruitment? Um, about sixty-five. Okay. So, yeah. so, 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 so we'll come on to recruitment. I'm really interested in what your observation of recruitment business leadership is and what you need to have to make it fly. I, I do want to go back to your sales because I've known you. I don't know, uh, eight or nine years now, ten maybe, uh, and I've worked with a number of clients that you've worked with and you you always preceded me um without exception every single one you left behind a legacy of scratchy a framework particularly around the whole bd piece that they religiously follow where 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 did you learn where did you learn the framework that you've used so successfully and systematically to help recruitment businesses and other businesses nail that critical aspect of the business there's there's two parts to it effectively um um but essentially if you look at the recruitment sector it's a very immature sector it is run by a lot of young people who typically come through sales haven't had the enterprise experience so effectively i was really lucky at case it, the training they gave us in enterprise sales was phenomenal the systems the technologies all the things we used then they were pro probably nearly all paper-based but we did get email at that time it was quite a few years ago so I think all of that, then applying that bit by bit through various different companies in the staffing sector for the first 10 years, 2000 to 2010, in big companies and small companies and a startup like Ruthie, much more difficult to apply enterprise sales in a small startup business. Much more difficult because everybody's actually on the deal, trying to make the deal every day, not trying to get the enterprise sale. We got a couple of very large contracts when I was there, which transformed the company and mm -hmm. also had a big part of those I wouldn't say I led them but I was a very big part of some of those deals and uh, that made a big difference so it's the enterprise sales side of things that I was educated in and then trying to apply that into what I still regard as being quite a, an immature industry it's mm. very transactional um, 
there are some people in the middle size and large corporates who are very enterprise focused, but in at the lower level in terms of size, anything up to 100, 100 employees, it's very tactical. Um, so it's really transferring that knowledge into practical things that individuals can do from taking a client from, say, two or three placements a year to 20 or 30 placements a year from a, from a state where they're competing in, um, in a PSL or maybe even that just uh, dealing with a company with multiple agencies in there into a state of an RPO or managed service or a, a vendor, a managed service program of some sort, um, or outsource their facilities. So, and small companies can do that, but we've been bringing that idea into smaller businesses so they're more robust, longer-term contracts with, with their clients. Yeah. One of the most, uh, a couple of years ago, you kindly, mid-COVID, I think, Mid-lockdown, you were in your garden. You, you recorded what has become famous as Churchy's 20, 20 absolute nuggets for uh, for your BD strategy. Yeah. and, and it, But again, when I I know you say it's enterprise sales, but some of the, some of the simple tip, uh, tips and techniques and the methodology, that's the big thing that keeps on coming back to me. Where is the method? We did a, we did a poll recently. The single biggest, uh, and the question was around people's BD machine, our members bd machine so was it strategy was it team the tools was it tactics what's missing and the single biggest that came out was we lack methodology yes and every single one of those um uh, 20 videos every single one of them has a method a system documentation to support it everything and all of those things there's only 20 i mean yeah you'd have put together twice as many as that but there are 20 gems which will help you to grow so there are things like you know once you've got You've got traction. You build momentum with a client. How do you build momentum? Well, it's all about how you do that. How do you actually get into an organization and secure more business with them and try to keep the competition out or in the place that you want to keep the competition? Because some situations you do need to have competitors in with your clients. You know, it's good to have them in there, um, especially those that are actually good because it helps everybody keep the, keep the game up to a high standard. It means there's going to be little change in the way that they're going to do things. And if we're dominant but good with good competitors, it's a good environment to be in. So all of those systems that are in Church of 20 are valuable. They, 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 deal, they deal with simple things like avoiding wastage. Mm. So, you know, if you get 10 people into a process for a vacancy, contract or perm, doesn't matter what it is, or even temporary, you know, you probably end up, if you're lucky, getting one of those placed in that vacancy. There are nine other people who were... Uh, Good enough to have their CV submitted by, you know, according to one of our team in our, in our business, nine other people who are good enough, in our view, or somebody's view in the company, they all need chasing down. They all, I don't mean that in a negative way or an aggressive way. They all need looking after. They're all looking. They're being either found by us or they're making themselves available on in the market. And they all are going to end up with a fee. You know, if the fee is three grand or five grand or 10 grand or 30 or 50,000 pounds, they're all going to end up with a fee. And not only that, in two or three years' time, they'll be generating another fee. So it's just avoiding the wastage, staying in contact with the people that you've so diligently dug up in the first place. It's those sorts of things that can make a big difference. If they're industrialised, they work. They generate more income. Mm. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I did this session uh, a month or so ago where I got 12 big billers from various members and stuck them in a room and said, what makes you so amazing? How come you can sustainably do the numbers you're doing? And it was all, it was actually method. 
it was unconscious habit that they had, but it was method. Yes. And they did it religiously. Yeah. So if, if the first vacancy you have is in your sweet spot, it's in your niche or it's in your vertical, it's in your traffic, geographical area, whatever it is that is your thing, mm. vacancy is in your sweet spot and you've got 10 people coming into the process. Let's say 10 privacy. By virtue of the fact you stick with the other nine you don't place, maybe you don't place anything because somebody else is better than you at recruitment or they find somebody better for the job. Those nine or 10 people that you've got, but by virtue of the fact they're going into a vacancy in your space, they're all going to be working in your environment anyway. Mm. So it's actually keeping you tight in the space you want to operate. So that actually, by virtue of doing that and keeping tight to those, those factors, it will keep you in your vertical, whether that's, uh, to, to quote Mr. Savage, inch wide, mile deep, or if it's broader because you're dealing with job families, you know, there's, 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 it just keeps you in your space. So it's very important to recirculate and recycle all the people and come back to everybody two or three years later and just say, look, how are things going? So it, just take that one, that recycling of candidates. Um, I'm going to guess that every time you've sat down with a business leader and just talked about that simple strategy to to repeat, everybody says, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You, you can't argue with it. Yeah. You can't argue. Oh. All right. So now why is it, if it makes so much sense and it's obvious and it's compelling, why is lack of consistent, repeated methodology because an issue? A, new, a shiny new thing comes in on the email. You know, it's a brand new vacancy. It's somebody you might have heard of or known of before, or it's a, a lead passed across by somebody else who's not in the space you're operating in. And you get attracted and, and taken away from what you should be doing, which is the space you're going to operate in. You might, it might be that there's a quick kill on the incoming opportunity. Give it to somebody else who's actually doing the ropes or finding their area. Concentrate on the on the space you want to dominate. Yeah. If you dominate a space, people will come to you. It's yeah. the same as TRN. TRN is dominating its space. You know, it's got a lot of members in exactly the right size of organizations, in exactly the right sorts of marketplaces. And so people phone us up and say, how can I join? Mm. If we don't do anything else. We don't do completely different separate markets. That's what we do. And if you stick to it, you build a reputation, you become the best in class, and then you have to just continuously build on the product and the content to make sure it's always ahead of everybody else. It's always matching what the needs are of the client. But that's that's it, really. Let, let's uh, let's move on to leadership because I'm you okay. worked you've worked with you've worked um, I was going to say intimately, yeah. You worked very closely with uh, sixty plus recruitment businesses, left your legacy and a massive impact. You've also been involved with hundreds of others in different ways. Um, what What is it that is too often missing when you see recruitment business leadership that if it wasn't missing, would unlock the potential of that business? Okay. So the businesses that I've seen do really well, and it's very difficult to do this when you're a big size organization, which is one of the reasons why I don't really like it very much is when everybody's working to the same goals and same objectives and everybody's collaborating and helping each other out. There are sure, there are things like splits and shares of deals and that sort of stuff. But in a truly well-run, common-focused business, you don't really need to do that. You just need to pass the leads around to each other because it'll actually come around to you at some point in the future. If something isn't in your in your space, get it to somebody else who is brilliant at it. So the, the best person in the organization or the best Part of the database is exploited for the for the right for the right client for the right vacancy. 
Mm. It's what the client wants, it's what the candidate wants, it's what we all want. So get the job to the right place for the right person to deal with it and get them to focus on it and then step back. I think the thing that people, leaders don't do is look at the landscape of what they've done today or what they've done the last hour or, or this week and taken 5% of their time every week to close the book, sit down and think, you know, what, am I, what have I been doing? What has my team been doing? How have they been operating this week? What's been good? What's been bad? What are the little gems that I might have forgotten? I've put them in my little black book as I've been going through the week or through the day. Mm. I need to follow up on that. That was an interesting bit of input. Who haven't I spoken to in the company for the last two or three days because I've been so busy doing other stuff, you know, turning around a situation, whatever. Just just being on it all the time with everybody and giving yourself 5% at least. Thinking time. If you're going to work 50-hour week, then 5% of that is what? Two and a half hours is nothing. You could put that into half an hour a day. Everybody knows. Can't speak to Simon Church between 8 o'clock and 8.30 or whatever the time is of the day. Because he's thinking, yeah. And if you and they know if they want to put something on the agenda for the thinking time, they've got to get it to me by eight o'clock, you know, that day. But fundamentally, they're not doing their role, which is to make the right decisions and execute those decisions, which comes from investing time, thinking time, research time, yeah, time that yeah. gets marked and sacrificed. Yeah, take the input of the people doing the deals all day as well. You know, it's quite easy when you're sort of two or three layers away from what's actually happening to not really know what's going on. What are the objections being thrown at the salespeople and the and the, and the candidates? What are the issues? Mm. You're not involved in those calls all day, every day. So you just don't know. You're living on the experience from some days, weeks, months or years ago. Mm. Whereas what's happening today is different from even what happened yesterday. So it's yeah. really important to stay close to everybody in the business, particularly those people who are right at the coalface. Yeah, deals all day. Yeah. What do you think uh, as we head into the final quarter of 2023, and it's been a tough year for a lot of people. What, what do you what do you look to see with uh, the, what do you think the most progressive will be doing better than other people? Well, is it is it, got, is, it the, is it getting back to make sure those basics are are done consistently and repeatedly, or is or is the evolution of recruitment technology, AI, and everything? Are you looking for something different from the, the best recruiters next year? Um, I don't think anything particularly different next year from this year. You know, um, I think every day you need that that time. Everybody in the company, not just the leader, you know, to sit back and think: What have I been doing? What's been the feedback? Like when you did, when you did your first deal, and you know, before you did your first placement, you probably had four or five on the go or more unless you got really lucky mm. you lost and a good sales manager would have pulled you over at the time you lost one and said look what did you do exactly what happened three or four times later you get one in and a good sales manager would pull you to one side and say well what was it you did different this time what what was it that you heard from somebody what was it you said how did you prepare differently all yeah. those things then you've got one deal under your belt you feel confident and you're going forward a lot of people at the moment are not doing deals. They found it really, really tough. Mm. So just go back to what it was. Think really hard. Get into the granular detail. What really, really works for you. Mm. Get into it. Don't people will say, "Oh yeah, of course, I know exactly what happened." You don't because you haven't really forensically analysed exactly what happened. And a good manager will do that with you after every single deal. Why did that happen? Mm. What was it? Was it the time the time of day you found somebody? Was it the way you actually prepared your candidate for before you made the first phone call? Was it the research you did on the client? 
all those bits and pieces. So the companies that are going to do really well next year, I think, or from now, are the ones that really focused on the areas that they, they say they're focused on. Yeah. Into the detail, you know, really qualify hard um, the candidate and the client. You know, really understand, is, is this vacancy going to happen? Do you have to have that, that vacancy filled by this day? Is there a compelling reason for you to have it filled by this particular day? They can't answer that. They can't answer the second question, which is, okay, Mr. Customer, if we got to the point in, say, a week's time or a month's time, we've got a fantastic candidate, the best ever, working for your strongest competitor, you know, with the best, most credits and experience you could possibly imagine, but they're also interviewing with another one of your best competitors. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do to get that person over the line? What is it that your business is so good at? And so good in terms of hiring or looking after people that's going to get that candidate over the line. If they can't actually answer that question, the beginning of the process is probably not going to work. When it really gets down to the hard job of getting somebody to accept a job there, it's not going to work. So I think it's detailed. You know, the guys are going to do really well. There's a lot of technology around and it does work. I use ChatGPT all the time for looking for information on things all the time. Mm. It's much quicker than using any of the other search engines. Much quicker, gives you much better quality input, I've had so far. Not for writing things, mm. just for finding information. You know, how does my Phoenix watch communicate with my with my iPhone? It's in yeah. chat GPT, you know. Anything anything you want to know, it's there. So use the use the tools that you possibly can, all the ones that are around. I know it's only one. Mm. Um, and yeah, but but it's it's getting into the detail and, and knowing your clients, knowing your candidates, looking after them. Yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a theory, Churchy, and I don't think I've shared it with you. So I've onboarded probably four hundred members into TRN over the years, and uh, I always say three three things because no, quite often they'll say to me, "What is it that the best members seem to do differently and better than everybody else?" And, and I've I've come to a conclusion: three things. One, they've got a learning culture at every level. Yes, which relates a little bit back to what you were talking about: stop and think and reflect and learn, etc. So there's a learning culture at every level. Uh, secondly, there's disproportionate investment in leadership. So those, whoever the leaders are, whether it's the owner-manager or the people coming through, they are invested in ahead of where they need to be. And the final bit is around clarity. Clarity about where they're going, clarity yes. about the roadmap to get there, clarity about the market, clarity about the processes, all that kind of thing. Um, how do you think, how, how do you feel about my theory? No, I think you're right. You know, yeah. look, if you're not clear what you're doing, you can't do it. Mm. You know, if I go to a spin class, I go into a spin class thinking, what am I doing this spin class for? It's 45 minutes. Am I doing it for heart rate? Am I doing it for, for strengthening my legs? So I want to stand up a bit longer. You know, you go into everything you do, a hockey match, a, a squash game, you know, a meeting with a client. You've got an agenda out there. You've discussed it with the people you're going to meet, exactly what you're going to cover with it. So mm. preparation and clarity within the business as well as with clients in your own life, really important. Otherwise, you end up in places that you don't expect to be, and it's certainly not where you want to be. You know, and you might get lucky. Yeah. But it's clarity and purpose is really important through the whole business. Now, the other thing I would I would add to it is that quite often, Gordon, I know you've seen this, and I've seen it lots of times. Why do very happy? successful builders leave companies that they've been in for five years or 10 years. You know, normally it's because they've been ignored. You know, they're heralded, they're given the awards, they step up and they, they go out to the lunches and the breakfasts and all the wonderful the trips that the company is doing. That's fine, but that's what everybody does. 
but actually we don't invest in those people. You mm. know, what happens is we look at all the people who are not doing so well. We want to get them up to standard, and that's important. But we've got to continuously invest in the really good people, and that's what Case taught me. You know, we were, we were doing ridiculously huge deals all over the PTTs, all over Europe. Okay, we covered all of Europe. We, did, we were on the, on the plane almost every day mm. in parts of the company, traveling all over Europe. And they, were, they would take us out of the business when they knew that four weeks of face-to-face -face time with clients was going to cost. And they'd put us in a training program, away from everybody, with six or seven other people, maybe 10, from the same company, all working through role plays, ideas, suggestions, mm. everything you possibly think of, okay? And that's what we don't do. So that's what should happen. And that's, and that's the investment in, in the good people. Investment in the good people. Yeah. yeah. It's very important. It's ignored, you know. Do you, no, I, I, I'm with you. I, I always think there's two crime, two two management crimes, unforgivable. One losing losing the good people that you could have avoided losing. That's criminal, and and also just bringing in loads of people who aren't and never suitable for your business in the first place. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there've been a lot of recruitment companies that I've worked in, and I've been guilty of it in thinking that yeah. you've got 30 people in the company today. We've got this turnover, this uh, gross margin or net fee income. We've got this profitability. If we double the number of people, we're going to double the profitability or even better. So let's go and hire some more people. And the pressure's on hiring the people, not yeah. on where is the market, what's the opportunity, which clients are going to actually generate that income for us. It's all the wrong way around. We'll get yeah. the people in and give them a desk and quite often not look after them very well. Yeah. So, you know, we're very good at TRN, the 100, first 180 days, and all the packaged content that sits behind that Almost guarantee if you follow that pack, you can guarantee the success of somebody who's even half decent coming into your business, or at least sorting them out within the first two months or three months. Yeah, that's brilliant. Do you, um, if, if you, if you was, if I took thirty years off your life and, and said, right, you're starting again today in recruitment, what would your approach be? Would you? Is a particular niche that you've always thought? Oh, yeah. Um, well. I've been on about this for forever, you know, the Internet of Things. Yeah. The IoT, just such a huge, huge space. Um, again, back in the case days, we were the first people to allow different organizations to, to share the same network. So, you know, basically you'd have the same copper pipes, mega stream and killer stream pipes, and you put multiple clients down the same pipes. Never done before. You know, we all do it all the time now, but it was never done before. So I would actually, I don't know, I think. Um, good question. Um, everything to do with technology inspires me, I think. And again, going back to the question about uh what would I do as different and what sectors would I go into? The Internet of Things, uh, machine learning, uh, AIs come out of all of that stuff. Um, I don't know. Um, try and put the question a different way, Gordon. Because <laughs> I find it difficult to ask. In terms of what's inspiring you, okay, what, yeah. what, I think what, what organisation, business leader, I would say sports team, but you're an England, you're an England supporter, so that's not going to be the answer. Um Organizationally, an organization that you really look at and say you did some pretty cool stuff. Right. I've at the moment looking around all the businesses I'm 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 working with, I think the ones that have 
consistently unsettled their comfort levels when they get comfortable are the ones that do really well. So uh, I have a business that I've been working with now for a few years, and we had one very big client that was about 60% or maybe even more, 70% 70, 70 of our business, mm. but they were a bad client. So the decision we took on that was to get rid of the client and backfill it with completely new clients. So it was the focus on doing that that actually got everybody back into the space they wanted to be in. And I think yeah. it's actually, yeah, it's, it's looking at things. Uh, Big, again, brave decisions. Brave decisions, yeah. And then sticking to them. Um, it, I, often we come across people who've got somebody in their business who's a very good biller, mm. but actually is quite mischievous and disruptive in the, in the, in the organisation. What do you do with that situation? Yeah, try to remedy. You try to remedy with somebody, but it's it, quite often it, it pays to get that person out. Yeah, and everybody else's game lifts. So yeah, making difficult decisions and sticking to them. Yeah, the most rewarding thing of the last ten years, probably being grandparent. Love it. <laughs> no, I love it. It's very exciting. Well, listen, I know. Um, uh, I'm very aware of the impact you've had on. Uh, hundreds of individuals, businesses, teams, uh, and I'm lucky enough to have you as a board member. And I will say it publicly, Mr. Church, it's been an absolute honour uh, to work with you and and see the stuff that you've done for so many people. It's been very, very cool. I know and you're not very good at it. You're trying to gently put your feet up so you can spend even more time with your grandchildren. Uh, and I do hope you get to that place very, very soon. Thank, but, you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. That's okay. I mean, the one more thing I would like to say is that um, I'm probably not going to be working for, for an awful lot longer in terms of months and years. Yeah. Um, but my, my sole purpose business-wise now, my sole purpose is to make sure that TRN and you guys, who are so good at what you do, can build something that is going to be here in 20, 25 years' time. All the youngsters who are out there who want to start their own recruitment business they get a platform which they can use. All the people out there who've got them, themselves to 10 hires or 30 or 40 or 50 hires can actually access the recruitment network and get what they need from there to help them to get to the next stage. I mean, it's a legacy thing for me. It, it's a brilliant company run by some wonderful people and the content is fantastic and it's always going to get better, but it's there for the long term. It, it'll outsurvive you, it'll outsurvive me, it'll outsurvive James and Mike and all the other people in the business. Because at its heart, it's going to be really good quality stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to me. It's not about making a lot of money. It's about doing the right thing and getting the right content for people. But every day, any business leader, and any consultant, in any recruitment company has got a challenge, is part of the, of, the, of the network, whether it's a digital product or the club product, can log in or speak to somebody and get what they need to help them to make the right decision that day. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what this is all about for me. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And it's just reminded you and I are overdue a curry because we need to, uh, we've, got a lot, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Always, always a pleasure. Uh, and I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, yeah. So if you're listening, get on to Churchy's 2020 on Tyrion World because uh, absolute magic there. We'll see you soon. Cheers, Ed. Don't forget to follow the TRM podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for a new exciting episode every week.